You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. At the beginning of this year, we explored in detail why our stuff, and by that I mean almost everything we own, just doesn't really last anymore. It's not a pretty picture. Cheaper materials, cheaper labor, shorter lifespans, planned obsolescence, endless new and allegedly better models, and for many products, no easy way to repair them. In short, the people who make your stuff want it to break. Or at least to get old. And if it does break, they definitely don't want you to fix it. And to them, this year, and this Good News Week... We and a growing number of DIYers from across the internet and around the world say, too bad, we're doing it. Your stuff might break, sure. But there are millions of people fighting to let you fix it and to help you do it. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and this is Good News Week on The Big Story, where we bring you hopefully... A little light before the holidays. Ali Volpe is a senior reporter at Vox who wrote about, well, how to fix your stuff. Hey, Ali. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. I will uh, start by asking you just why does everything I own and you own and we own feel so disposable these days? Yes, it is totally not in your head either. My colleague Izzy Ramirez wrote a wonderful piece earlier this year, uh, sort of documenting the downturn in quality that you've been noticing. And what she found in her reporting was that this sort of planned obsolescence where products are phased out of fashion uh, sort of conditioned people into wanting the newest thing. We sort of think because it's new, it must be better, which is not often the case. And then there's also this sort of cultural, social pressure to buy the newest, quote unquote, best thing. Social media sort of exacerbates trends Mm -hmm. of fast fashion haul content. I don't know if you've seen any YouTube videos where people are sort of going through their their haul of clothing that they just bought, but it just encourages people to buy and buy more. The Wall Street Journal actually reported in 2019 that American shoppers are buying five times more clothing than they did in 1980. Wow. So we're sort of just like conditioned to want more all the time. But here's my question. Even though it's cheaper, does that mean that they truly just have to go when they're damaged? It almost feels like we should get rid of them, but do we have to? Right. I would say no. Generally, like among the experts I talk to, a good rule of thumb is like if it's going to cost you more to fix your thing than to get a new one, you know, maybe you should consider getting a new one. But I was so surprised to learn that like there are so many things that we have that we actually can fix. And it's cheaper than getting a new thing and better for the world than getting a new thing. Do you think that's something that people just used to understand that we kind of forgot along the way that you can fix these things? Yeah, like I talk to, you know, folks who are a little bit older than me and uh, in interviewing them and reporting for this story that I wrote about how to fix your stuff. And so many of them were like, yes, when I was growing up, you know, I used to fix my own clothes. Even my mother would say, you know, if she would get a hole in her jeans, you know, they would mend it. It wasn't like you would just run out to Macy's and get a new pair of pants. So I think there has been a bit of a cultural shift 
where because it's gotten so easy to just go to the store, order online, get that thing that you need. And because it is relatively inexpensive, it feels just way more accessible to get that new thing. Like, oh, I've got a hole in my jeans, time to get a new pair of jeans, which I don't think there's generally anything wrong with thinking that way. I think, you know, if you've worn your pants to a point where maybe you want another pair, I think that's fine. Sure. But just the sort of like, we need to wear something new every season. Or if you've worn it twice, it's no longer good. I I don't think that that is necessarily the best uh, way to be thinking about our stuff. Let's leave fast fashion aside for now, because I think we can both agree that it's kind of the cheapest example of what we're talking about here. But in terms of larger products, or I guess not physically larger, but more complex, like some of the electronics we have now, there is, I guess, an entire movement that is pushing towards a more DIY approach to maintaining these items. Can you explain briefly, because we have touched on it on this on this show before, even, even with Izzy, but explain the right to repair movement and the momentum it is gathering. Yeah, yeah. So right to repair, pretty straightforward. It's the idea that we should be able to fix our stuff. There should be more transparency into repair manuals or like greater access to parts and tools and product design that allows for self-repair. That, you know, if we have something and it breaks, you don't need to take it to someone else to fix it unless you really want to. And that's both in changing legislation and attitudes of, you know, some of these companies that maybe make it really hard to fix your stuff, that you actually have to destroy the product to get into it. And so this goes for like individuals who want to fix their stuff. And if you want to take it to someone else, like a kiosk in the mall to fix your things, so you don't need to like go to the Apple Genius Bar, for example, to get a new phone or a new screen. There is um, near my house an appliance repair shop. And it seems so quaint to me, like something out of another era like where you would go to bring your your toaster or your coffee maker or whatever. But they are licensed only to repair certain things, I found out. And there are other things that they just, I guess, don't have parts for, don't have, I don't know whether it's the manuals or whatever, or they're not allowed to pair them, repair them without affecting their warranty. How did we end up in this place where repairs are seen as proprietary rather than something that you could do to the item that you purchased and you own? Right, right. To go back to the example of electronics, like I know a lot of people want to, you know, jailbreak them or modify them. And it is technically legal, at least here in the States. But a lot of these manufacturers make it so difficult to do that, like through their software updates. So it kind of prevents people from like doing the things that they want to do with their stuff. And I think that's what a lot of the Right to repair um, advocates are fighting against that. No, if you bought it, you should be able to do with it what you want. Let's talk about practically repairing stuff now, because this is what you dug into uh, for one of your pieces in Vox. When you set out to see what can be repaired and what can't and how, what did you expect to find could and couldn't? And did the results meet those expectations? You know, as someone who is like truly hopeless with like tools, string, a needle, electronics, like anything, I anticipated that like you would need an expert to repair most things. Mm-hmm. But I was happily mistaken. Um, there are so many people that I spoke to for to this story who sort of like bolstered my own confidence in just sharing that like everything from refrigerators to like beloved baby blankets have DIY fixes. Like if you have the patience 
that's really all it is. Granted, uh, some of the electronic stuff is a little bit more difficult. You might need to outsource, you know, some tools or some parts, but there are tons of resources online from YouTube videos to iFixit, which has a ton of guides to fix primarily um, electronics, but they have stuff on vacuum cleaners, um, other home electronics. They just kind of break it all down and give you the confidence to, to fix your stuff. Do you think that people understand that they can fix that stuff? And if not, why don't they? Great. I do think with some products, people assume that there is nothing they can do. Like if you crack your phone screen, and I definitely am one of those people, it's like you think you have to take it to this store to get it fixed. But you absolutely can do it yourself if you have the right materials, the right instruction. However, I'm one of those people that like, I'm not very dexterous. I'm like not great with like not very handy. Sure. So I'm of the mind of like, if it's less stress to just like take your phone to a kiosk in the mall, like just do that. But also we need to remember like, you don't need to buy an entirely new thing. Like if your sweater gets a little hole, it is possible to fix that. You don't need to throw it away. Also, I think like the messaging around upgrading, especially when it comes to electronics, like makes people believe they're not getting the best unless they have the newest thing. And that is just not always the case. And so I think we just have to get out of that mindset of like, okay, just because, you know, a new product is rolling out and there's a lot of show about it, like, you don't need to get that thing. Like, my phone is so old, it still has a button. I have an iPhone with a button and it still works. And I don't need a new one. And I'm okay with that. Well, there's all sorts of stories of people who hung on to their Blackberries forever, right? Because they like the keys. Right. I'm definitely one of those people where like, I want a button to touch. I like get weirded out by too much touch screen. And so like, I'm going to hold on to my old thing for as long as possible. What is that community like? And you met a lot of these people. Tell us about the, I guess, the camaraderie or the growing sense of a movement amongst the people who are dedicated to teaching you how to fix things. Right. I definitely think camaraderie is the right word. Um, I talked to someone from Repair Cafe, the International Repair Cafe group. And even though it's an international group, it sort of thrives in local communities. Um, You can set one up anywhere that you live. And it is a lot of people just bringing stuff that is broken. And there's someone who knows how to fix it. They can teach you how to fix it. And it's all very community driven, which I think is awesome. And people want to teach you how to do this stuff because I think that's a lot of the the mindset here is let's keep this stuff out of the landfills. It's better for the earth. It's better for your wallet. And you get to learn something in the process, which I think is really nice. Well, let's do some practical tips then so that not necessarily because we're not going to teach people how to do it on this podcast, but to to show them what can be done and and where the resources are to do it. And you uh, looked into, as I mentioned, a number of different kind of categories of products that we often throw out. Uh, let's start with the easy one, which is clothes. We all know that like, yeah, you need to learn how to sew for people uh, who came along after they taught like home economics in school. That's a brand new skill for a lot of people. How do you learn how to repair your clothes? Yeah, as a person who does not know how to sew, uh, there are a ton of YouTube videos teaching you how to do like basic stitches. And that will get you a long way because pretty much every article of clothing can be fixed in some way. Um, According to the author Erin Lewis Fitzgerald, she wrote a book called Modern Mending. 
there's one exception, uh, stretchy jeans, like those are probably no-go. But just basic stitches, you can, you know, fix a lot of things. There's a movement of visible mending. So you can kind of make your stuff beautiful by putting like colorful patches or colorful threads to sort of give it a new personality. But definitely YouTube, Reddit is a great place. And Erin has a Facebook group called Modern Mending Club, which she recommended, where people will like ask questions all the time and folks will jump in with suggestions, which again, feeds back into that that camaraderie community focus. I'm going to up the difficulty a tiny little bit here. What about just basic furniture? Like I mentioned, the stuff that we we often get, I think the stuff that we order, especially sight unseen, um, especially during the pandemic, probably a lot of people got this stuff and now it's feeling a little rickety. Where do you find the resources to take care of that? How difficult is it? Right, which is a little bit more difficult. Speaking from personal experience, my boyfriend is a carpenter, so he works with wood and furniture a lot. So I I can see the skill that goes into, you know, making a good piece of furniture, fixing a good piece of furniture. He is asked all the time to fix wobbly legs or things on chairs, bottoms of chairs that have fallen out. So it is a little bit more difficult. And I think it's worth noting that if your piece of furniture is made with particle board, which is an engineered wood product that is commonly used in Ikea furniture, it really can't be fixed, according to a furniture repair shop owner. But if it's a solid piece of wood, you can glue it back together again. Again, there are a lot of uh, YouTube channels that you can look up uh, various tutorials. There's one um, called Thomas Johnson Antique Furniture Restoration, a channel called Fixing Furniture, which um, one of the sources I spoke to, he runs that one. For simple fixes like an unbalanced chair, you can find a tutorial and fix that yourself. But because it is a more skilled practice, you might want to go to a a furniture repair expert. What about more complex stuff like uh, home appliances, which you also looked into? And that's one where I think a lot of people often replace them without realizing, speaking from personal experience multiple times here and many people I know, without realizing that, yeah, maybe that old washing machine that makes those sounds sounds kind of ugly and looks ugly, but it's actually way better than the like electronic touchscreen one you're going to replace it with. How possible is it to replace those? And uh, can you do it yourself or is this one where you find the handyman? I think Consumer Reports has a really, really great interactive tool that you can put in, like the type of appliance that you have, the year you purchased it, the original cost and how much a repair would be. And it sort of helps you factor in whether you should just buy a new appliance or try to fix it yourself. Um, A Consumer Reports expert mentioned to me that if like the repair costs are approaching like 50% of what you originally paid to buy it, you might want to consider replacing it. And there are parts of certain appliances like a, like a door gasket on a refrigerator or a dishwasher that are actually pretty straightforward, according to that Consumer Reports expert. So you can, um, again, look up a YouTube video or um, there's a website called repairclinic.com, which would help you like diagnose your problem or find source parts. Um, I fix it again. Their guides are incredible. Um, they've got refrigerator, dishwasher, washing machine, vacuum, um, and other appliance guides. So there are simple things that you can do yourself. Some manufacturers even have support pages for troubleshooting certain problems like noises, 
like an air conditioner not working super well. Right. But if your appliance is still under warranty, you messing with it could void the warranty. So it's worth checking your warranty and reaching out to the manufacturer just to see if there's anything covered. I would say like that's probably the way to start. And if the instructions for any repairs, like if you are not under warranty and you're on your own, if there's anything that seems like beyond what you can do, you should not feel bad calling up a handyman. Okay, this is the last one I'll ask you about um, and probably the most pertinent to most of the people listening. And I'll need you to kind of walk us through what is and isn't permitted or possible because it's really complex. Um, And that's smartphones, whether it's cracked screens or batteries or just, you know, maybe in your case, one that you really like the actual design of and you want to live as long as possible. Where does that right to repair uh, come in Can you fix it yourself? What happens if you do and you mess it up? Like, walk us through that, what people's options are. Right. According to experts, like, there are very few tech products or tech fixes that are outside what the average person can do, which is the plus side. But there's a lot of issues when it comes to how the products are actually made to for you to get in there. Right. Um, One example is the original version of the Microsoft Surface laptop required people to like cut a fabric cover if they wanted to like get into the nuts and bolts. So basically you had to destroy the laptop if you wanted to fix it. And Microsoft did take that feedback and they improved the design of the laptop. So now it's like not something you have to like ruin. So if you have access to like a manual, instructions, replacement parts, you can repair it. Again, it sort of goes to the quality of the instructions and the size of the device too. Like um, one expert noticed like the smaller the device, the more difficult any fixes may be. But if it's a common thing like replacing a battery, there are tons of guides online. It's not the most difficult fix. Um, Apparently, I have not done this, but apparently it just involves like unscrewing some screws and prying some things out. So it's not too, too hard. And again, iFixit has like plenty of guys with like beautiful pictures that will walk you through how to do it. And some companies like do have troubleshooting guides for things like screen repair. Apple has repair manuals for iPhone, Mac laptops, desktops. But I think if you've, again, read through the instructions, can't really grasp how to do it, if getting the parts would be too difficult or you just don't feel confident, like you should not feel ashamed to seek out a professional. You've mentioned a couple times, you know, the the camaraderie of this movement, like we talked about, but also just there are so many different resources out there, but they all uh, can seem, I guess, a little niche at times that you have to really know uh, how to go hunting for them. But once people find them, they seem to find them really valuable. And a number of these people have, you know, large followings on social media. What would have to change in order for the knowledge of repair and the ethos behind it uh, to be a little more mainstream? I think a lot of the responsibility lies with manufacturers of items across the board to sort of make the repair guides more transparent, make their um, software easier to modify. And in the U.S., a handful of states actually have right to repair laws that have, you know, helped make that easier. Um, Massachusetts has one about the right to repair vehicles. Colorado has one about repairing wheelchairs. And this year alone, 33 states in Puerto Rico considered right to repair legislation. So I think it is something that people are thinking about. Again, the consumer has a lot of responsibility, but I think it's time 
for manufacturers of products to really take a look at how they can extend the life of their products because I think this has grave consequences on on the earth. We need to ensure people are using their products for as long as possible and not throwing them away because, you know, climate change is obviously a huge, huge thing that we all need to come together to tackle. So I think the more we can use our stuff, the less we can keep it out of landfills is the better. What's the one thing you want people to understand about being able to or the process of repairing their own things beyond uh, the fact that we've already discussed that it is possible? Right. To go back to the point that I just made of like, don't be afraid to outsource the repair to a professional. And I think especially when it comes to clothing, because I think people might think like, oh, that's a simple one. I can learn how to stitch. If you want to send it out to like a local tailor or, um, you know, take it to a local dry cleaner, there's a, a lot that could be done to salvage that piece. Even if you don't feel confident in in doing it yourself, um, I always assumed that like once a shirt was torn, like it was time to recycle it. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of places where you can even mail your your items, and they can breathe new life into your clothes, especially if you have some sort of sentimental value to them. Except for stretch jeans, again. <laughs> right, Ali. Thank you so much for this. It's heartwarming to know that it's possible. Yeah, exactly. I need to um, I need to learn how to stitch, I think, is the moral of the story. <laughs> it's a good time for a New Year's resolution. Exactly. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Ali Volpe for Vox. That was the big story for more from us, including the previous episodes of Good News Weekend. If you go back further, lots of bad news. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can always pass along suggestions. We do love suggestions for good news. Most of the time we can't do it, but we will if we can, I promise. You can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can also write to us. The address is hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us and leave a voicemail. That number is 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.